1: You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast.
2: Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you OK? Well, I'm having to record this at a fair pace because my husband's just had to take a chart for a PCR test. So I thought, hmm, I'm really not going to get much time to record this later today. So I thought, right, I'll just swoop in. So I've run up the stairs, a bit breathless now, just thought, right, let's get this done. Um So I hope you're okay. But it's just the usual chaos here, you know? Anyway, so what books am I reviewing today? Five really interesting books. Well, four really great ones and one I wasn't so sure about. So the books are Saving Time by Jodie Taylor. And we're going to talk to Jodie today. I'm really excited to talk to her. It's over a year since I last interviewed her. Uh, And she's just she's just one of those authors that make me smile and really her writing's really engaging. So, yeah, looking looking forward to talking to her. The next book is called The Fell by Sarah Moss. That's just come out. Then we've got Heartstopper Volume 4 by Alice Oseman. Uh, That's a graphic novel. Then we've got The Memory Police by Yoko Agawa. That's a translated fiction, no less. Um, And I've got a lot to say about that book. And then we've got One August Night by Victoria Hislop. Quite a selection, but you know me. There's, There's usually one book that stands out for you. I think there'll be a few this time. Anyway, so Saving Time is the third book in the series of The Time Police, Team Weird, as we like to refer to them. And it's a cracker. It's, it's brilliant. Whether you read it, whether you listen to it as an audiobook, it's a cracker. Here's the blurb. Life is good for Team Weird. Now heroes and fully fledged time police officers. Luke can't wait to bear arms. Jane has a date and Matthew still hasn't had his hair cut. But time waits for no one and neither do criminal masterminds. A major threat to the timeline is looming, one far deadlier than mere idiots who want to change history. And when a familiar face becomes a very important lead, will conflicting family loyalties spell trouble for team weird? One missing, one guilt-ridden and one facing the end of their time police career before it's even begun. Not so good then, after all. Uh, Right, let's get to the first sentence. (laughs) The, The first sentence was the prologue. It's sort of redacted voice communications. See, I'm laughing as I've seen it. No, okay. Oh, this is very interesting because I've just... Now I'm thinking because I read the first sentence in the second book and it's the same first sentence. I'm guessing there's a there's a theme here. I never knew that. Um, now, what, what I'm going to read then the second and third. Sorry, I'm all over the place. But hey, I'm not going to read the first sentence. Well, OK, I'm just going to read it all. I'm going to read three sentences. I, I don't know what's going on. It's one of those days. Commander Hay settled herself at her desk, opened up her scratch pad, picked up her coffee and gazed expectantly at her adjutant. You're wearing your bad news face, Charlie. A whole shed load for you this morning, ma'am. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a superb book. These just get better and better, I think. It's only book three, so if you haven't tried any of Jodie Taylor yet, um, I think you can easily get into them. They're, they're easy to read because they're so character-driven and funny, um, and you can just see the world created before you. Uh, so, yes, excellent. Saving time, Jodie Taylor. Let's talk to Jodie now. So Jodie Taylor, author of Saving Time. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for asking me. Well, had to have you back on because the response last time was phenomenal. I mean, we meet the Time Police again. Are they taking over more of your your heart and your
1: head? Yes, they are. Um, I set myself a challenge. I don't know why I do this. It's not as if my life isn't challenging enough. But I set myself a challenge. Um, Having invented this um, rather nasty organisation that really didn't behave at all well, I um, thought I'd... I'd see if I couldn't present them in a more sympathetic light and actually get people to like them. Um, Obviously, they couldn't all undergo this massive personality change. So I invented Team Weird, um, three really not very normal people at all who are completely not what the Time Police are all about. And they are the rotten apples in the barrel that are slowly contaminating the rest of the organization. And it's enormous fun to write, I have to say. There's nothing like making people hate someone and then turning it around completely I'm really enjoying myself (laughs) you're messing with our minds I am (laughs) and
2: it's great (laughs) and I love how the books also include St Mary's do you intend that or do they just sort of push themselves into
1: the story as you're writing in the first book, um, I thought I would do a nice crossover and introduce everybody to everybody else, and then the the two streams would diverge and go their own way. And that hasn't happened at all. Thus demonstrating once again, I have no control over <laughs> anything really. <laughs> I, I
2: just love the way that they, uh, yes, erupt into the story, pushing they their way They do, in. don't they? <laughs> Is there ever a time you think to yourself, oh, no, I couldn't possibly put a character through what I'm thinking of putting them through?
1: No. <laughs> I absolutely love putting them through whatever I'm putting them through. I'm sure it's a huge character defect, but I just love it. But I think that's so good about the books or one
2: of the good many good points about the books is that you just don't know. Uh, nothing is taken for granted. and a, a character that might be one of my favorites, something awful may happen to them. and I think you keep us on on our toes as readers. <laughs>
1: That was actually deliberate Uh, when I first started to write. And with St Mary's as well, I didn't want it to be like a television series where the same group of characters appear week after week and there's a little bit of jeopardy or peril, but you know they're going to make it. I wanted my readers to know that when my characters were in danger, in peril, in jeopardy, there is a very good chance that they will not all make it out alive.
2: Which adds to the drama of it because we, yes, we don't trust you to be kind to them.
1: Oh, I'm incredibly untrustworthy. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> and you write with such humor i mean you know it it's listening to the audiobook or reading the book i just find myself laughing at and the choice of words is that is that something have you always been a, a funny person
1: Um, Yes, mostly in self-defence, I have to say, you know, parents, teachers, employers, sometimes it's necessary to deflect with humour, and quite quickly too, before it all really hits the fan, and I get the blame yet again, Um, so yes, um, but it it does come through quite naturally, I don't really um, foster it very much, um, I'm frequently accused of not taking things seriously that I should take seriously, um, but constitutionally, I, I just don't seem able to to do it. Um, I am the fan of an enormous number of really, really bad jokes. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um,
2: and when you were a child, was it? Did you have an imagination that you sort of escaped to with that humour? Was that where your story-making started?
1: Um, Yes, but I have to say it got me into the most enormous amount of trouble. Um, I went to perfectly normal schools, I I should say, in their defence. And I wrote a lot um, because um, composition, it was called then, um, was very big on the syllabus. Um, But... I was always getting into trouble for writing an inappropriate language, which then when you're 10 means something completely different than now. But I remember infuriating my one of my teachers to such an extent because she said I kept writing in slang and it wasn't right, and um, she actually ripped the pages out of my exercise book and screwed them up and threw them across the room. So that that didn't go well. And then, having marked my card, I went off to secondary school and I was commanded by a teacher who really should have known better um, to enter the school poetry competition. And because this was the early sixties and it was an all girls school, I was given a list of subjects deemed suitable for young girls to write about. And there was um, magic and moonlight and daffodils and pixies and puppies and things. And I wrote about cannibalism. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that that I got see me scrawled across the bottom of my entry when I did eventually see her. I got detention for the best part of a week. Um, so, but the upside is that no one ever asked me to enter the school poetry competition again. So, you know, more swings and roundabouts. <laughs> but that, I mean, they're, not, they're funny
2: experiences, but they're also, at that time in your life, pretty awful experiences to go through. Did it help you build a sort of a resilience that when a story's in your mind, you know that
1: is your story and you're going to stick to it? I think so. Yes. I mean, you'd think I would learn from experience, wouldn't you? But I really didn't. Um, And and when when I started work, um, one of my jobs was to take the more esoteric mutterings of senior managers and translate them into something actually doable by the workforce. Um, and I used to put in little jokes like, you know, I'm warning, this memo contains nuts. <laughs> um, or the one about um, the, the guy coming to cut down the tree in the car park because we killed all our neighbours' pigeons and it's just too horrific a story to repeat. Um, but I, I had to get people, I had to stop people parking in the car park that day because this tree was going to come crashing down. So I sent a memo around um, saying on Monday next three fellas or possibly four fellas but probably two fellas will be in the car park etc cetera, etc cetera. and once again I found myself in somebody's office being berated for um, particularly tasteless humour um, so no I've obviously never learned my lesson that was local government mind you so
2: oh thank goodness you didn't honestly and it's you say that about you know tree fellas four fellas two fellas it it, for me it's your choice of words you might describe someone with only a couple of words but the disdain that you can pour into that person if they're not not one of the chosen ones (laughs) is is a joy does it take time to create those words or are they just there
1: Either they just come immediately or they don't come at all. Um, There was one character, and I can't remember who it was now, who gave me enormous difficulty because I couldn't get the name right. And normally I'm writing away and the name just either, if I'm typing, falls out of the keyboard or if I'm writing with a pen, falls out of the pen and away I go. But for this character, and I really can't remember who it was, I simply could not get the name right. And not getting the name right... Enab- couldn't enable me to see the character in my head and hear them and and that sort of thing. Um, so I need to get certain things, immediately and if they don't come immediately they sometimes don't come at all which is is a little bit worrying sometimes it it, you just can't get it right and the only thing I can do is abandon that character or work on something else and hope that it will come to me and sometimes it does usually at three o'clock in the morning you know when these things are really (laughs) welcome yes the old notepad and pen
2: by by the bed
1: everywhere all over the house even in the bathroom (laughs) But I have to tell you, at three o'clock this morning, I was falling off my bed because the duvet and I had an argument and I wasn't tall enough to shake it back into its covers. I had what seemed at three o'clock in the morning to be a brilliant idea. And I climbed up onto the bed and gave it a massive shake and literally blew myself backwards off the bed. (gasps)
2: Yes, oh. at
1: three o'clock in the morning. Did you
2: have a, a good idea about uh, your next book as you were doing it? I mean, was it productive in that way?
1: Well, I have an idea that a similar instinct in, uh, incident might one day turn up. Um, but my my character will do it with considerably more grace and aplomb than I managed. I mean, I just went flat onto the floor. It wasn't pretty.
2: I'm interested, when you're writing, say, The Time Police and you're thinking, well maybe I do bring some of St Mary's in. Are the, are the, is it the characters that are shouting the loudest in your head that you use, or is it the ones that are sitting very quietly, edging away, trying not to be picked on, that you
1: select? Um, most of my characters shout quite loudly, actually, um, but there are one or two characters, um, Elspeth Grey, um, Lingos, who don't say much but make um, a disproportionate impact, usually through other people. Um, Elspeth Gray's story is very slight, but the impact that she had on Major Guthrie mm. and all those around her, um, especially when she. She couldn't get back into St Mary's. She could not throw off what had happened to her. Um, And I know they're all very gung-ho and PTSD is something that happens to somebody else. But it did strike me that not everybody would be able to cope with an experience like that and want to go back and do it again. To me, it was perfectly natural that she would say, no, I really don't want to do this anymore. And there is
2: a lot of debate and discussion about that very point on the Facebook groups um, that that are linked to to your name and the series. And so I suppose I do have to ask, was it, and you may not be able to tell me, but was it more because when she came back, things had changed so much, she couldn't, she didn't find her place or was it that where she was and what we didn't hear about was so what she experienced when she was away that was the
1: issue in my mind it was that she could not throw off the fear that it would happen again um I should imagine it's a bit like falling off a horse um you know they say you've got to get back on again immediately otherwise you never will um and she tried she tried very hard and people tried to help her but in the end they all had to accept that she simply couldn't do it
2: Oh, fascinating. Thank you very much for that. So with all the characters shouting loudly and and the focus that you give, is writing energising or exhausting?
1: It's a little bit of both, really. Um, Mentally, it's energising. And the more I do and the better it goes, the more I can can do and the better it will go. Physically, it's exhausting um, to spend six, eight, ten hours out of stretch doing the same thing is physically very tiring. And I know it sounds ridiculous because I'm simply sitting down all day. Um, but eventually my bodily needs, you know, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I have to go to the loo now. Um, and you try and peel yourself away from the laptop. And and I discover usually that I've seized up completely because I haven't moved for so long, because I've been so engrossed. And I'm trying to make it sound like a good thing, but I think it demonstrates quite clearly that there's something the matter with me, really. (laughs) Not at all. So if you have a break
2: from writing, if you manage that, does... does Do you miss writing? Do you miss the the character?
1: Yes, yes, I do. It never really leaves me. Um, The doctor has ordered me to take more exercise, at least half an hour a day. And I pointed out very patiently that I live in a very small apartment and no matter how slowly I walk from my bedroom to my desk, it is not going to take half an hour. Um, And doctors have no sense of humour. Have you noticed that? Yes. I have. I've tried that one and it didn't work well. <laughs> so I am trying um, to take exercise every day, at least half an hour. And, and um, fortunately, the weather is very good at the moment. But I do find myself thinking about characters, situations as I go. Um, and I find I've I've walked around the block or around the park or along the river um, and not remembered a minute of it because actually I've been off... While uh, in Rome, while Nero burns, or something or other, um, so it, it does tend to be a little bit all-consuming. I have to say.
2: So, do you take your notebook on your walks as well?
1: Yes, <laughs> but there's no need to tell anyone that. So, if you could no. edit that bit out, I'd be really grateful. How much? I try does and it make worth? me look normal. <laughs> no, no, no. So,
2: you do you have to write St. Mary's and the time, please concurrently because you're reflecting what's going on in each location
1: well it usually depends which I'm contracted to do um I just had a time police book out there is a St Mary's out in April I'm writing the next time police book and then the next book I'm contracted for is another Elizabeth Cage book Ah, great. Um, obviously, I lack the mental discipline to focus properly. Um, so I've actually, all over my table, got scribbled notes for two more Regency romances and a thriller whose ending I can't get right and a number of short stories as well. So a certain lack of focus at the moment, I'm afraid. So thats I mean, that's incredible, that workload, that
2: you have that variety and yet it seems to me when you when I'm reading the books it's as if your focus is entirely on that book but you work better by having different books you can jump into
1: usually two-thirds of the way through a book I start the next one because then it's a kind of holiday and I can move from one to the other if I get stuck with one I can pick up something else and and work um so um uh, i need one to complete the other if you see what i mean
2: mm, yeah no i under i i can see that uh, when you started writing the saint mary's series it seemed to me that they were based that they were based more on historical events that you would think of those first and then slot the characters round whereas now i get the feeling and again could could be wrong always happens that the the events that happen to characters perhaps come first and then you slot in the historical events.
1: Am I? You are absolutely correct. (laughs) (laughs) Please, (laughs) gloat. I shall, I shall. No, you're absolutely correct, actually. When I first started to write, the whole purpose of of, um, writing was that I wanted to make history more interesting um, than the the educational authorities actually made it (laughs) for me. Um, So the whole purpose of St Mary's was simply, they were the mechanism to get people to the historical events, which I could then describe in wonderful detail. And everybody would say, oh, how marvellous, how interesting is history and so forth. But of course, this is St Mary's and, and they just got, Stroppier and stroppier and louder and louder, and and you're right. I think round about book four, book five, the balance does shift.
2: So well done! Oh gosh, gold star for me. Uh, I mean, Zara Ram is a brilliant narrator of the audience. isn't she? She's
1: amazing,
2: and she must be so pleased that she started doing the series because you keep coming out with more more books. She must be very happy to. to I keep think coming. she is actually. <laughs> Does she ever call you and ask how you're
1: approaching something? We we email occasionally, and we did meet for lunch once um and it was so strange to sit opposite somebody and and hear max's voice come from somebody else um and now she's reading the elizabeth cage series as well um because it's it's there are three books and they've all of them so far had a different narrator um not for bad reasons but simply because somebody wasn't available or last year they weren't well or whatever um and I really didn't want a third narrator mm. or three books um and Hazel um came up with a brilliant idea of, of saying well let's ask Zara if she'll do it um so she will probably read all the Elizabeth Cage books now as well so when you met her
2: for lunch did it alter your perception of Max at all
1: No, I don't think so. As I say, it was strange to hear Max's voice coming from somebody who doesn't look anything like Max at all. Um, There there was an amusing incident, actually. I read one of my own short stories, and I have no idea that I wrote so many tongue twisters. But Audible asked me if I'd like to read one of mine, and I said, oh, yes, have no idea how difficult it is. And bearing this in mind, I said to Sarah while we were having lunch, is there anything I can do to make your life easier for you? Um, expecting her to say politely, oh, no, no, everything's fine. And she didn't. She put down her fork with something of a snap and said, yes, there is actually. Mr. Evans, she said, oh, I made Welsh because of his name. And then halfway through book six, you suddenly announced that he's from Halifax. And she said, I had one paragraph to phase out the Welsh accent and bring in the Yorkshire accent. Please never do that again. (laughs) Oh, wow. And I might actually, just to annoy her. (laughs) Yes, why not? So I have to
2: ask the question, if there was a battle between the Time Police and St Mary's, uh, appreciating that they would take different approaches,
1: who would win? Well, there has been one already, of course, which St Mary's did win, but only because they they virtually destroyed the place. Yes, they were saved by the kitchen staff, which is just so typical. Yes, but if it happened now, if you know, with, I with think Luke. it would be. I think it would be the time police. Mm. They are better led and better managed now. I think Commander Hay is a more intelligent commander than Colonel Olbey yeah. was. Um, so yes, I think that it would be the time police. Um, But it's just so interesting to write about St Mary's from a time police point of view. They must be so (laughs) irritating. (laughs) yes you know the the temptations just shoot them all on the spot and go home and have tea must be amazing (laughs) and the scrapes
2: and the the everything and the you know I would love a task to be given to both of them and they each have their different approaches you know who can come up with the best solution you can imagine St Mary's would involve a lot of ostrich feathers and tar and uh or animal <laughs> extracts and yeah the, the time
1: police would just be bullets or you, you know you can just imagine it I've, I've got a vague idea knocking around in my head actually for next year's Christmas story when they might go back to watch Rome burn and the time police turn up and arrest them for looting I think that could be quite interesting oh,
2: yes splendid yes. splendid and uh this the Phrase fire truck. I just, it's such a delicious way of being able to say a word that maybe yes, you you shouldn't. It's a, a great.
1: Did that just come to you? It it did actually. Although when I was in the air force, we used to say it quite a lot when you couldn't really let rip. Oh, so that's not a. I thought that was that was from you. I thought you'd come up with that gem. <sighs> No, I don't think it's even original, actually. I think uh, there are many organisations that use equivalents like Fire Truck. Um, it just came back to me one day. And, and really, when you think about it, I've got the two organisations the wrong way round because it is the Time Police who should be using the bat language all over the place. Um, I'm not being rude, but they are a much more masculine organisation mm. and considerably tougher. And St Mary's, possibly, who ought to be using the euphemisms for bad language, but it hasn't worked out like that at all. So what do I know?
2: No, I think it's just right. I'm interested, did the senior figures uh, that we come across in the book, the ones who are not so endearing, did you get them from your time in the Air Force?
1: Um, I have to say, actually, while I was in the Air Force, everybody I met was was extremely pleasant and very nice. So, no, no. no nasty figure is one person it's it's a little bit possibly from somebody and something that happened to me somewhere else and something that somebody did many years ago um but then having done that having formed the base of the character then they just Let rip and go off and do it all by themselves. Um, All I need is a starting point, really. Which, as I said, is usually the name. And I can't get the name right. I can't get the character right.
2: Can we just talk about the sort of the mechanism of writing? So you you get the idea of the the characters that are going to be involved, and then perhaps the historical events. How much
1: plotting do you do before you start writing the story? I have an outline. Um, And I know the ending. I I really have to know how a book is going to end. So I know how to get there. Um, Other than that, not a great deal. Um, And what actually happens during the first draft is that it's extremely loose and sloppy and there's a lot of it. And it's very possible that a scene will occur several times throughout the book because I haven't yet decided where best it would be Um, so I just put everything down that I can think of in the first draft and I write it incredibly quickly because the urge to push the story on um, never mind about characterizations or discussions or research or anything like get the story down and make sure that it works and then I go back to the beginning and and I, I hesitate to reintroduce the duvet but The first draft then is usually about 130,000 words long. It's it's just shapeless and baggy and pulling it into shape is really like trying to shove a duvet into its cover in the dark wearing boxing gloves. Um, And that is what takes me longer than actually writing the story itself. But as I go through, I think, no, this scene would be better here. And then if he does that there, then she can do that there. And that's when I actually start to do the real tight plotting. Um, And then I send it off to my editor who will come back and say, this needs tightening up here, or this this is not right here, or can we have a couple of lines of explanation because I think the reader will have forgotten what happened a couple of chapters ago. And then between us, we we knock it into shape and a hey, presto book. How much do you enjoy the editing process? Um, I understand there are some people who really don't like their prose mucked about with um, very much It doesn't bother me hugely, because if you have the services of a world-class editor, as Mm. I do, it would be ridiculous not to take advantage of their advice, encouragement. Um, Mostly, about 95% of the time I say, oh yes, that's better, or yes, I'll do that. Occasionally they will say, "Um, not too sure about this, how about doing it that way? And I will either say, no, I prefer it this way, if you don't mind, or, no, I want to do it this way because in two books' time, I'm going to do this, this and this. Yes. Um, so it's it's skilled negotiation, really. Um, but I certainly, it, it doesn't annoy me. I, occasionally I think, oh, um, and I'm sure they do as well, probably more than, oh! um, But we get there in the end. And, and the result, as in saving time, um, I thought they did a cracking job on that.
2: Well I think you did a cracking job on that you really did I just it, it's such fun it's such an escape from uh, from the the real world and the way you balance the the humor and the horror is the wrong word but it just it, the humor and the action
1: and the history the is not not a pretty place to be at all um I remember watching The Name of the Rose the film with Sean Connery, with my mother, who was absolutely appalled at the ringworm, the (laughs) mud, the blood, (laughs) the the general workings of medieval life. I think she thought it would be all traffic cones on your head, you know, with the wispy scarf and everything. (laughs) Um, And and I think that might have been one of the times I thought, yes, you know, history could be better represented. Um, And it is a pretty brutal place, mostly. Um, In one of the books, I actually have Max looking for a time when nothing happens because she needs to relocate some people there and she's actually looking for a time. You do not want to be living in interesting times, really, do you? You you just want a nice, placid life and and a good crop every year. Um, And interestingly... More and more recently, I've been thinking, if you could actually travel through time, should we do it? Um, Given big business and politics and religion, is it really wise to do it? Um, And and it, it is a thought knocking around in the back of my brain that we could be opening a huge huge can of very fatal worms. if we ever did conquer the secret of time travel what do you think
2: yeah I agree it comes down to that well-used phrase about the grass is always greener on the other side you always think life would be so much better but actually you could be starting a whole Yes. catalogue
1: of disasters as as we've discovered a uh, catalogue of catastrophes. she said <laughs> neatly slipping in the title of her next book <laughs> and we've got a,
2: a toast of time slipping in the name of another book which comes out on christmas day i believe it
1: does that is uh max and the time police approaching the same problem from different directions um i shall say no more
2: Well, that's very exciting. That's something to look forward to. My last question is, if you could go back to when you were writing the first book, the first St Mary's book, is there anything that you would sort of whisper in your ear now?
1: Um, Yes, I think so, because it was only ever supposed to be the one book. Um, and, and it certainly wasn't supposed to be published. The whole point was that I'd retired and three weeks later I was bored and I thought <laughs> I would see if I had the mental discipline to write a book. There was no thought of publishing this at all. And it was only ever going to be the one. So in the first draft, everybody died horribly at the end, except for Markham, who died halfway through horribly, um. And then, as I got further into the book, I thought, well, really, you know, there's a, As I was editing and whipping stuff out by the paragraph, and thinking, there's enough here for a second book, so that was how the series started. So, knowing that it was going to be a quite a long series, I think I would have. I said in in just one damn thing somewhere that she'd been there for some years before all her adventures started to kick off. And I think I would get rid of that and compress the time somewhat, which would then give me more time at the end. Yes. Fantastic. Um, I got the timing wrong. Um, but th- yeah that was my fault really sorry about that well you know we'll just we'll try to accept it as long as you keep writing these books we'll we'll let
2: you off with that one but uh, yeah jodie thank you for your time it's been wonderful no, thank talk you. to you i really appreciate it it's nice to see you again thank you it's lovely to see you and just catch up
0: hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot
2: So that was Jodie Taylor, uh, who has written the book, her most recent book, Saving Time. And now we go to The Fell by Sarah Moss. Um, I have read other books by Sarah Moss recently and really enjoyed them. And when I saw that The Fell was coming out and what it was about, I was like, yes, I am in there. Let me tell you about it. At dusk on a no- November evening in twenty twenty a woman slips out of her garden gate and turns up the hill. Kate is in the middle of a two week quarantine period, but she just can't take it any more. The closeness of the air in her small house, the confinement, and anyway the moor will be deserted at this time. Nobody need ever know. But Kate's neighbour Alice sees her leaving, and Matt, Kate's son, soon realises she's missing, and Kate, who planned only a quick solitary walk, a breath of open air falls and badly injures herself what began as a furtive walk has turned into a mountain rescue operation right let's go for the first let's do a few couple of sentences i think nerve endings i think it's ready ellie says her hair pale silky swings over her face as she peers into the oven you get the plates dad you'll need the oven gloves rob hears himself say and she sighs as he knew she would um the the whole book is written just um, just sort of a splurge of viewpoints from characters in the story. It's sort of relentless, but it's so good. You feel as if you're just stood there at the window of someone's house peeking in, and you can see all that uh, is described. You can imagine what the characters are thinking. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, it is is—it's a short book and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it's it's nice to have a book that you can just sink into and you get through it quite quickly. But you just want to dwell on the language that she uses, the words 180 pages. There you go. I love the fact that it references uh, the pandemic. Um Yes, you haven't got people, I'll say, you haven't got people suffering from the the pandemic necessarily, but perhaps mentally you do. Um, I don't want to give anything more away. I just thought it was superb, superbly written. uh, Very interesting. I love the fact that it just throws you in and it starts and it ends. uh, And again, there's so much more that you can add to it. And when you think, oh, what about this about element? What about that? And the repercussions of one person just having enough and wanting to, you know, to to get away. Uh, sorry, I've just I've just had an email from son's school. Let me just do with that about his test PCR test. One moment. Right. So there we are. That's just just help with that little. Uh, that little matter so yes I uh, i like this book i love the fact that it makes you think about the before and after um i, I thought it was great really good one very atmospheric um and it touches on lock, lockdown and the pandemic without it being medical uh, ish well uh, yeah it it's yeah I, I don't want to say anything else before i give the game away there we go the fell serra Excellent. Um, another one, see, this we're on a roll. Third excellent book this week, Heartstopper by Alice Osman, um, Osman Osman, volume four. Oh, I love these books. They're wonderful. They're so easy to read. They're beautifully drawn in sort of a lively, fresh, original way. Um, they're set uh, in, it, it, I mean, if this is YA um, and it's about, it's about a romance between two guys, um, they're both at school, one's going into sixth form, and it, they have issues, and it's how they deal with that, and the issues their friends face. It's um, it's heartwarming, it's heartbreaking, it, it's just beautiful. It's one that immerses you. If you're having trouble reading at the moment, I'd suggest... Uh, starting with these, because visually it pulls you in as well, and the words very simple. You feel like you're making progress because you get through it. You know, you could read it in a bath. I don't mean you put it in the bath. You know, you can read it while you're having a bath, and and you and uh, you, you'd be done by the end of the bath, depending on how long your baths are. I'm waffling. It's um, a bit of a stressful morning. It's all fine. It's all good. What can what can possibly go wrong? And yes, we know what can go wrong. The PCR test result can come back positive. That would not be good. Anyway. Moving on, um, the next book is one that I am hoping I'll be able to talk at book club uh, about on Thursday. Um, And I really want to be able to go if it's a positive PCR test, then that won't be so good. Anyway, so this is The Memory Police. It was suggested by somebody else, um, translated um, Japanese fiction. I didn't know anything about it till I picked it up. Here's the blurb. Hat, ribbon, bird, rose. To the people on the island, a disappeared thing no longer has any meaning. It can be burned in the garden, thrown in the river or handed over to the memory police. Soon after, the island forgets it ever existed. When a young novelist discovers that her editor is in danger of being taken away by the memory police, she desperately wants to save him. For some reason, he doesn't forget and it's becoming increasingly difficult for him to hide his memories. Who knows what will vanish next? Ooh, I've got a bookmark in there. <gasps> Let's take that bookmark out. And the first sentence is, mm. I sometimes wonder what disappeared first among all the things that have vanished from the island. Um, I really enjoyed this book, although I got I was furious at a part, at one part, point in it. I'm not going to say what that point is. Um, it's got remnants. There's sort of bits of like Anne Frank. There's... Um, bits of The Handmaid's Tale. It, it's dystopian. It, I love this book so much. I loved it. It didn't give me all the answers. And that's what made me so cross. And that's why I can't wait to discuss it. It's one of the first books in a while. It's one of the first books. It's the first book in a while that after the minute I finished it, I went on and Googled, what does this mean? Um, Yes, it's it's one. Oh, I have never heard of it before. 270 pages. You can get through it fairly quickly. Thought-provoking. Fascinating. Interesting. Also, it made me mad. Read it, please. Tell me what you think. Yeah, good book. Um, Then finally, a book that I did with my other book club, One August Night by Victoria Hislop. This follows on to the island, which I loved. I know lots of us loved. Um... Okay. here's the blurb. 25th of August, 1957. The island of Spinalonga closes its leper colony and a moment of violence has devastating consequences. When time stops dead for Maria and her sister, Anna, two families splinter apart. And for the people of Plaka, the closure of Spinalonga is forever coloured with tragedy. In the aftermath, the question of how to resume life looms large. Stigma and scandal need to be confronted and somehow, for those impacted, a future built from the ruins, of the past Uh, let's do first sentence chapter one for some women pregnancy is a period of good health and joyful expectation but for Anna it was a time of misery and nausea Um, as I say I love the island I had heard mixed things about this book so I wasn't sure It, it didn't do it for me um just didn't have the magic. And maybe if I hadn't read the island first and had the expectations of how amazing the island was, maybe I would have enjoyed this more. It's, um, it's light, it's atmospheric of the time in Greece. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It's more my problem than the books, but it, it just didn't do it for me. No. So there we go. I think we're going to leave it there because I need to go off and uh, see what else is going to go wrong today. So just to recap, we had Saving Time by the wonderful Jodie Taylor, and it was great that she came on. Thank you, Jodie. We had The Brilliant, The Fail by Sarah Moth, Moth, (laughs) Moss. Sarah Moss. Come on, Philippa, nearly there. Keep going. We had Heartstopper by Alice Osman. The Memory Piece by dear. I've got my hands to my face now because clearly I can't speak. The Memory Police by Yoko Agawa and One August Night by Victoria Hislop. Look, you just take care, (laughs) look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews
1: podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever.
0: See you again soon.